Many of you know Axis deer is considered to be the best tasting venison on the planet. I've been hearing that for years. And that those deer cause some ecological harm. Well, Maui Nui Venison is bringing those Axis deer to the market. So you can get some fresh cuts and sticks shipped to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that Sport Dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code Meat Eater. So go to www.sportdog.com slash meat eater to learn more. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. You know, with everybody out uh, trying to uh, get a Bigfoot, shoot a Bigfoot, a dude wrote in that he canceled his ghillie suit order. And he, he includes he includes a photo of the ghillie suit he was fixing to get next to that famous uh, Patterson film, The Bigfoot Walking By. Dude, his ghillie suit's a dead ringer, man. <laughs> that was a smart move. Uh, another guy wrote in with a correction about snakes. We were talking about this special new snake that got discovered from Mexico. Mm. It was like, you, you hear about this, Pete? Mm-mm. Just to recap. So years ago, some guys killed a snake, and in its belly was an unknown species of snake. And it oh, turns wow. out it's its own, not only its own un, undescribed species, but it was an undescribed genus. Oh, wow. Um. And I was pointing out how I was reading about how I had two peckers. Now, a snake guy, a snake biologist guy wrote in. What do they call those fellers? Not herpetologists. Snake biologist? Snake feller? Snake feller? <laughs> Snaker. I thought you were asking. Yeah, what he they pulled call, that up. I thought you were asking what they call people with two peckers. <laughs> no, no. But like, uh, you know, an ichthyologist, right? Entomologist, etymologist. What is it? Snake man. Herpetologist. Herpetologist. Did I say that? Yeah. Yeah, that's your first first entry. Man, stick with the guns. On a a roll. One roll. Anyways, he said, this guy has a sentence where he says, most podcasts, he's he's generalizing here, most podcasts that mention snakes have misinformation. For example, all snakes have two peckers. Oh, wow. So, wasn't as special. (laughs) A snake's not as special as I thought. Did you know that, Giannis? 
I did not know that. I didn't know that either. Not prior to reading that email. What's the point of the second one? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, didn't he say it? it this part of that email that I, I didn't said it, no matter the orientation of the snakes, they're capable of breeding. I think is the point of the the two peppers. Oh, nice. Oh. But if uh, you know, that's a good idea. They can only be oriented so many ways. I don't. So oh, is there a, snakes? Man, they get yeah. all wrapped up. Capable yeah. from all directions. So, like, all the jokes we made about two peckers last time is now less funny. <laughs> oh, it's way less funny. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just a normal. Plus, everybody <laughs> that knows about snakes is sitting there thinking how stupid How we were. stupid. These jerks weren't funny to them at so all. So, nobody's found this species of snake <laughs> alive, just dead in no, this one. And, this, and here's the thing. They only did, they did the genetic work on it. I don't know what it was. I think they found it in the 70s. Oh, wow. Like they, did, they did the work on it 40 years later. But the assumption is... The, Still there somewhere. They think it's a ground dwelling snake that maybe hmm. feeds on insects. Guy wrote in from France. He says, Bonjour. Who can do a good one? Bonjour. 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 Yeah, yours is not good. No, no. And I've been that. there. I've been there. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Cal can do it. Get it, Cal. Hit it, Cal. Bonjour. Bonjour. Ooh. Ooh. I like that little inflection. That's uh, Beauty and the Beast for you. Yeah, that's very nice. He writes Bonjour. in and says that uh he likes to hunt. He says, here, here, hereabouts, uh, we like to hunt thrushes, a thrush. He says it's the top of the top to eat. Now, a robin, your typical red-breasted robin is a thrush. But that's a thing, man. In Europe, they eat a lot of songbirds. Weird. Like in Italy, they hunt a lot of songbirds. Yeah, but they, they've uh, also like eradicated many, many species due to their varied tastes. And I the wonder... Normal eating, the normal eating things. Yeah. yeah. And so at some point, they were like, no, 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 trust me, bro. <laughs> robins are delicious I, well i think they were eating them you know that four and 20 blackbirds bake them in a pie yes people been in the you know the egyptians ate little birds i mean there's you know there's evidence of that so Kyle, you're yeah. saying been, they're eating birds but just because they ran out of other things to eat oh they definitely did they, i think they were eating it all now a lot of it's gone they're still eating little birds yeah and we just have because like the you know the we have rules that made that not the case but i'm sure once upon a time here here you can eat English sparrows, which I've eaten because they're non-native. Starlings, which I've eaten, yeah. non-native. And street pigeons. Mm. Yeah, there. I mean, there are recipes out there for crows too. Yeah, yep. there's a season on crows. But if you know, you read that uh, guy Le Valdine's. Um, uh, on one in one of his books, he touches on growing up in France. And he had this killer childhood growing up in this old castle in France. But he talks about, like, the poaching culture and the hunting culture. And, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, very well-known poachers out there that were able to kind of hold their heads high because it was, like, such a game to go out. Um, But they would, like, dragnet fields at night for ground-nesting birds. Basically, it was like almost like running a human powder powered saner, mm. almost where it's like guy sits there and then they like pivot around the field, Jeez. and as these birds flush at night, they're coming up and into their net, and then they just go straight from there to the markets in Paris. Oh, yeah, really. Yeah, a Scofier talks a lot about all the birds. He's even got a big yeah. breakdown of all the different little birds, songbirds, and stuff, and like what they're good for and what they use them for. But here, you know, with the migratory, you know, and there's songbird protections which is something that happens here my father-in-law was telling me that uh down east 
North Carolina, <laughs> they used to uh, trot line robins. Oh, wow. For, for eating. Mm-hmm. Tell you what, uh, when I was growing up, we tried to, there's a kid down the beach from us who uh, his parents called him JT. And JT one day was trying to catch a robin and with a baited, with a worm baited hook and uh, did a, what we call at the time a super set. He, he set so, he set his hook so aggressively <laughs> that without the friction of the line passing through the water, that hook came back and snagged him right in the eyebrow. Because, oh. <laughs> you, you know, like you set the hook when it's underwater and not a lot happens, but on land, whap, JT. Did he have a scar? Didn't lose his eyesight. I'd like to punch that dude in the nose, to be honest with you. Yeah. Not over that. Um, <laughs> seems to be a history. Another, there, another anyway. time, another story. Dude from Germany. So speaking of, uh, speaking of fellows from foreign countries, a dude from Germany sends a big Weidman child. Wait, what's that? Is that like a middle finger? A Weidman child. Weidman child. How, how do you spell that? <laughs> I feel like that's way off. It's not close. W a i d m a n n s h e i l. He says a big Weidman child. What? Yeah, there's they, they don't Germany. <laughs> they don't say Weidman. It would be like. Vaden, Vaden Shields. I'm not even going to try now. It's embarrassing. But. My, you know, uh, my old man having fought in Whiskey Whiskey 2 uh, in the European theater never forgave the Germans. And when he was, uh, uh, when he would point out, like when, when pressed on this, he would point out, he, would, he knew how to say, I love you in all the languages, many languages. And he'd say it, you know, with, he'd put his, good of a shine on each language's version of I love you and how like beautiful it'd be like but in German he's like what kind of people Whoa. can't even say I love you in a good sounding way <laughs> yeah there's no talking him out of it man they'd shot at him too many times uh, this dude from Germany uh, he says as a former, former German infantry officer and a passionate hunter He's talking about how we were talking about safe handling practices, mm. you know, like using your safety on your gun and whatnot like that. <laughs> and um, he says it's very surprising to hear American hunters talk about this. I think a big part of the world is under the impression that all Americans have a cowboy mentality and are carrying around cocked and chambered guns all the time. <laughs> you did a good job bringing light into the dark and fighting the prejudice that American hunters are careless. So big Vaden, did you figure it out? Yeah, it's a hunting term originating oh, in Germany yeah. to congratulate a hunter on his success in the field. Very appropriate. Oh, oh. Mm-hmm. you're gonna have to start learn how to pronounce it. You start using that. I know. <laughs> Co-op that. Hold on, listen. A hunting term originating oh, in Germany. That they're gonna say. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it might come yeah. up. Has since been used in- <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep going. I- <laughs> you think it would let me see how it's said? Watchman Sneel. Oh, there you go. I like that. that. That's not even close. Watchman Shile. Anyways, uh, is that Urban Dictionary? Mm-hmm. Come on, <laughs> we're good. It's, it's, I'll tell you what it is. It's Vietnam. <laughs> um, segueing out of that, a guy wrote to say that man. It just he's, he he says it destroys a segue when you point out <laughs> that it's a segue. 
<laughs> he's like, that's not. It's no longer a segue. You, you've made it not a. If you go like, hey, watch this segue. He's like, you've just negated. He he no, equates it. No. He goes to, he's trying to put it in language that I would understand. And he says, let's say you snuck up within twenty yards of an elk and then yelled, look how close I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I vehemently disagree with that guy. No, I feel like if you say it's a transition, or you say it's if you're going to make that statement, it makes puts more pressure on it. Mm-hmm. So you have to be better. It elevates your game. Oh, I don't agree with him at all, but I just want to give it. I don't want to be fair. I want to be fair to his, you know, he's, a, he's a, obviously a smart guy, and I just wanted to let him know that he's heard. And, and uh, I, I get it, but, I, but it's, he'd have to take another stab at, make, at, at convincing me. Um, and uh, we're, we're trying to have fun around here, and I think that that. Oh, he why... thinks that there's fun to be had. He just thinks you should have a little tally, and you can keep track. Oh. You're, you can keep track, and then later you can revisit after the segues have served their purpose of seamlessly without drawing attention into the transitions, then later you could be like, did you notice earlier? Yeah, or the next episode, Michelle could tally while she's doing tech notes, and then the next episode we could say, so last week, you know, Steve, had Steve had three segues. Wonderful. Giannis had 10. Giannis pulled a double. Giannis had 10. Giannis Should pulled a double a, segue. A, a whole separate segue committee that gets to vote on each, each yeah. episode. Who has the slickest segues? Yeah. Segwaying from that, um, a couple guys wrote in about this thing, HB 25, which is a bill in Hawaii. Uh, would, you hear about this? Yeah. It would prohibit you from keeping, in Hawaii, it would prohibit you from keeping a firearm or ammo in your hotel room, in the whole damn state. Hmm. Which for a traveling hunter, creates a lot of problems. A yeah, lot of problems. Work. For law enforcement, it creates a lot of problems. I mean, how's that going to be enforced? Well, it says select individual. It, it was some exclusion, so I don't even know how it would deal with that. But I remember thinking, like, some guy, he's, like, fixing the, he's, like, planning out a crime. And he calls his buddy, and he's like, ah, not able to do that crime after all. Because I was just reading about how you can't keep <laughs> yeah, a gun in your hotel room. Come on. I went to school here in Montana at MSU in Bozeman. And uh, in the dorms, they had a gun locker. And as of... 18-year-old freshman in college, you could walk into the front lobby of the dorm and hand over your shotgun. I duck hunted a lot in yep. my freshman year in college. And I remember walking into my dorm and handing over my 12-gauge over the counter to the resident, uh, yeah. you know, whoever was running the show in there, and they locked it up. I don't know if that's still a, a deal at, at Montana State how, University. How old is the re- is this the resident, the RA? That's yeah, the taking RA. Thing up? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I was handing, I was handing it over to like a 20-year-old oh, in, like a dorm, counter. in a dorm room situation. Correct, yeah. yeah. Oh. yeah that's Very like, similar to a hotel, though. That's like if, yeah. if you were 10, if a 12-year-old was your babysitter. Like, <laughs> yep, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like, with this thing, it's like, what are they driving at? You're supposed to leave it out in your car? It's a yeah. lot better to put, like, if you're trying to drive at, like, having it not fall into the, someone. The wrong hands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I remember in high school when they brought in the rule that you couldn't have guns on campus, mm. and I would run my trap line after school. So yeah, I kept a little. I kept. Well, I had one of those twenty gauge twenty two over and unders yep. that everybody owned. You know, mar- it was a Marlin, that little thumb you, thumb cocker, thumb selector on it for oh, yeah. your barrels, and you'd always mess that up. Woodcock, <laughs> woodcock, <laughs> jump up. Twenty two, twenty two, or like you know, go to whatever. It's, yeah, I messed that thing was a lot of trouble, but I loved it. But I remember he, that rule comes into place, and I go marching down to the principal's office and talk about what a bind that was going to put me into. And he's like, "Oh yeah, don't worry about it." Yeah, don't just worry was about like, it. "Oh yeah, well you, it's you know, that's, that's fine." Yeah, times have changed. Does it explain exactly what they're trying to um, I, stop? 
Is it happened? something after the, the Vegas shooting? Like they're yeah, but he didn't tell anyone. Yeah, that, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> they weren't like, oh yeah, bring them all up. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> yeah, sure fine. he didn't ask the front desk for yeah. permission. But yeah, yeah I, I don't know sense. what I don't know what it just seems. I don't I don't understand it. it yeah, seems, it, it seems like it, another cluttered law on unnecessary books, like putting people. It seems like you're putting uh, people in a bad position. Yeah. yeah. Um. Speaking of that, a lot of people, a lot of people wrote in about just talking about like safe handling practices in general. Um, one guy even said he hunts with his in-laws, and his in-laws uh, are almost antagonistic toward uh, what he regards as like pretty standard safe practices. And he's gotten to the point where he's gotten to the point where he doesn't even like to be around them and he can't bring it up. Like, hey, you know, let's follow some safety protocols here. And they're like, they shoot him down. And uh, he says, Figuratively. It makes, it makes, yeah, <laughs> figuratively, sorry, it's bad. It makes him uncomfortable. Another guy wrote, and he says, I traveled to West Virginia for the holidays to visit with my wife's family and hunt with her great uncle. Now, her great uncle is 80. And his name is Jack. This guy, when this 80-year-old dude was a little kid, he was out rabbit hunting with his uncle. And a rabbit runs off, and he doesn't get a crack at it. And the uncle chastises him for having, if, if you weren't using the safety, you'd have gotten a shot off. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so then he goes from the 1950s to present day, uh, refuses to use the safety. Wow. Because of that one getting, bust, getting his balls busted by his uncle all those years ago. Um, then... This uncle, the uncle that chastised the kid for not getting the shot off at the rabbit because he's using his safety, is out coon hunting, and come morning, he hasn't returned. Oh. So they send people out to look for him. Search party goes out, and the, 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 the grandpa, right, or the great uncle, the 80-year-old dude named Jack, who was chastised as the boy, he's part of the search party that goes out to find the uncle who chastised him for using his safety, and sure enough, He's laying there dead, a bunch of dogs running around, his coon hounds running around by his side. And from the way everything was laid out, it seems as though he might have leaned his gun against a tree oh. and one of the dogs triggered it or wow. knocked it over or something. Oh. I remember going out with a group of guys all, this is when I was you know, young, young, um, and it was one of those situations where um, you're kind of setting up, everybody sets up around a big canyon mouth that the elk could disappear into and you're just kind of posting up waiting for elk to come out hopefully on your your part of the canyon where you get posted up as they they start coming out to feed at night and um i'm the youngest guy by at least 10 years and um you know you're all sitting there in a you know relatively small area and you're like It's like, all right, somebody got something. Nice. Get the cutting knives out. Right? And all kind of got picked up, and and it's like, well, somebody got something. Somebody got something. And I'm like the young, excited kid. Like, well, where, you know, where, is, where it? is it? Where is it? Where is it? And I was like, oh, you know what? I uh, didn't uh, didn't didn't shoot anything. My, my gun went off. Wow. Because, um, you know, I was all set up. Wasn't and, even looking at it. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, grabbed the gun, and the trigger must have snagged and went off. And, and I was like, well, didn't you have your gun on safe, right? I was like, kid right out of hunter safety. And the guy proceeds to tell me in front of everybody, 
that, well, you know, Ryan, when you're in a really safe situation, it's okay to put around and have the safety off. And all the other adults are just kind of like, no sound. And then, like, as soon as the group breaks up, my uh, my buddy Larry grabbed me. He's like, hey, pard. He's like, that guy has Don't. rounds go off all the time. Don't listen to that guy. <laughs> Don't get near that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, can see the, I can see the not, like, like our general practice of not chambering around until things get real gamey. Mm-hmm. I can see that some people are like not going to buy into that, but yeah. the idea of the safety issue. Whoa. I mean, asking for trouble. Oh, I mean, how could you? How could someone even make the point? Especially yeah. with everybody uh, rejiggering their triggers these days. Uh, <laughs> Everything's super hot. Well, I'll put a yeah, I put a Geisley in. It's a zero point eight pound trigger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. That's interesting. We had a uh, a backpack come into Stone Glacier for a warranty situation. The guy was. Sent it in and he said, a, a hunting accident. Uh, please fix this if you can. And it looked like a dog had chewed up on his backpack. A lot of, a lot of little holes that kind of looked like, at first glance, looked like teeth marks. And I called him. I was like, did your dog get on your backpack? It's pretty normal for dogs to chew up packs. And uh, It is? Oh, because they get blood on them and whatnot. Yeah, big yeah. time. Salt and- Probably number one, number one destruction of packs is by Really? Dogs. Number one pack warranty claim yes. is dog chew. Absolutely. Right, my kids want a dog real bad. I'm going to tell them about to this. Like, yeah, man, <laughs> I can't afford well, you know, a backpack. You guys want dogs and backpacks. So I call the guy. I'm like, so what happened? And I wanted him to fess up. This dog chewed on his backpack. And he's like, honestly, I was out grouse hunting with my wife. My wife leaned her 12-gauge against the tree, knocked it over. 12-gauge falls over, goes off, peppers my backpack. Really? And it just lit up his backpack. It shattered the carbon stays inside of it and just put all these little tiny micro holes all throughout the frame and bag oh, my that gosh. I uh, interpreted as dog bites, but turns out it was a shotgun. Well, listen, it's like every, I feel Whoa. like everybody has an accidental discharge story, whether it involves you or yeah. someone you know. Like yeah. it's, not a, it's not all that uncommon occurrence. We were standing in the Vortex booth at Chacho Show here two days ago. And they have a scope in one of their, you know, Vortex VIP warranty, right? Yeah. They have, like, like, if you can find a shard, they'll send you a new scope. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, here's this scope, and through the bell of the scope is a bullet hole. No. Yes. And I was like, (coughs) oh, my God. What's the story on this? Well, it turns out a guy had... uh, Shot his gun? (laughs) No, I had taken a... This, it got sent in by um, a retailer... Right, a gun store owner, um, and somebody had come in with a firearm oh. and asked somebody at the counter to check it out, mm-hmm. and at, and nobody during the course of this checked to see because who action. would bring in a loaded firearm into a store, and they put it on the deal and and it guy ends up uh, shooting a case full of rifle scopes. No. Jeez. Uh. See, that's where, like, with the, with the safe handling, that's where the part comes where, like, the whole part about s- muzzle control. Yes. Yeah. Like, if there was no question that nothing accidental would ever happen, then you wouldn't have the extra layer of, like, the reason you don't sweep your muzzle around is because of the very real possibility that there are ways in which you could have a discharge. A gun, yeah. So it's, like, never pointed anywhere. Which it, which is an acknowledgement of the, you never know. Yes, and then all then the other stuff is all la- layered over that. But the fundamental idea of like where is it pointing yeah. in case the unspeakable 
Well, here's something that came up with me recently. Like, if you mount your Stone Glacier has like a rifle mount on their packs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Most pack companies will make like a little rifle sling you can mount on your pack. And while that's great, I feel like I want it on my shoulder because if it's just on my pack and it's mounted behind my shoulder and I have no control of the muzzle as I would if it was slung over my shoulder, I can bend over to go under a tree. I can duck down to do this. And if I'm hunting with somebody, I have no control over my muzzle other than where my body goes. Yeah, I still like those things though. I like it. They're comfortable. <laughs> I was kind of jealous on a recent hunt of the folks that had them, but then you can see like when you're crawling through some brush or you're dicking yeah. around somewhere, like you're you're now wherever your oh yeah your shoulders point is where your barrel points. That's a good point. Uh, Lots of dudes rode in. I have something to add, please. <laughs> <laughs> I recently ad'd a gun. We were sighting in some rifles. And a fellow was using my rifle, had never used my rifle before, and it, it had a three-position safety. So I was explaining the three-position safety. But this particular one is aftermarket, and so it's not quite – if you don't have it exactly in the middle position, if it slides a little bit forward out of that position, it's actually live, right? So you got to be very careful that if you're going to use the middle position of this safety that it is in that middle position. And he had been handling the gun, and then he came over to me, and we hadn't started shooting yet, and I assumed very wrongly that the gun was unloaded. And so I went, we went to, I went to explain to him how it worked. With it pointing in a safe direction. Him pointing in a safe direction, and I flipped it forward to that, to that spot where the gun will go off, and I said, see, watch this. I touched the trigger. Pow! Were yes. you surprised? I take full responsibility, because even though that person... You can say how you can say. Well, no, that person had every right to have that gun loaded. He was about to sit down at the bench and start shooting, right? Um, I personally, if I was going to start messing around with guns and I had a loaded one, and I was going to another person, I'd say, "Hey, bro, oh, this got, is got one in the chamber here." Yeah. But it's still up to the person yeah. that touches that trigger. Absolutely, you know. That's what we're talking about with guys up. You can stand there in front of him, check it, and hand it to him. He just opens right back up and checks it for his, on his own. Oh yeah. Yeah. Why not? You're like, dude, I just checked it. I and as a guide, that. I, I feel like time. I used to be much better about it. Because if we did have even guides open them up, you know, to show, and then I'd stick my pinky in there. Oh, yeah. To see if I could feel one, you know, in case for some reason your eyeballs weren't actually. That's above and beyond right <laughs> no, there. No, I'm always fingering my rifles. <laughs> I put my pinky in there to check. That's definitely going to be the that's uh, like quote my, of this podcast. Yeah, that's, 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 uh, I always, I find myself, even in hunting situations, when I flip the safety off, I'm getting ready to shoot something. I'll say like going hot, even if no one else is there. I'll go in live, going hot, because I'm just so used to every time that safety flips off, and I know that I'm about to send one down range. I always just in my brain is going hot, going live. Um, I found myself a, after somebody shoots something uh, repeatedly. As you know, everybody's jacked up and excited. Oh, everybody's yeah. got some. I just grill people like gun unloaded. Yeah, yeah. Gun on safety. We do that. We yeah, and then I'll ask you again two minutes from now. We like do that, that gun's still unloaded because everybody's all jacked up. Everybody's excited to go get to the deer or whatever it is. And it's like, just remember. Yeah, it's very easy to rack another one in slinging. and the gun never gets put on safety. Second nature thinking, to reload it. Because you're thinking about a follow-up. Shot. Yeah. That's a time when I hear like just in our circle, like when you get up to something and everybody's getting ready to do whatever and you're going to start skinning. You, you, there's a lot of verbal checks around. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, a lot of verbal checks around <laughs> safety. I got one on that. I wasn't here for this, but a buddy of mine growing up, you all remember the night disc rifle that was out for a time? It had a 
Yeah, but it was a muzzle loader. You put a shotgun primer in a little orange disc, and then that you loaded that in, and then the huh. hammer. No, crack. I remember, that thing. I know night, but I didn't know. Yeah, about it was that. a disc rifle for a time. <clears throat> and this, he was out with a buddy skinning the deer, gutting a deer, and he was, you know, had its legs splayed open. He was in the middle gutting, and his buddy was coming over to check. He just walked up to check his check the buck, see how big it was, and leaned over, and the guy felt the the muzzle of the gun like in his back. Oh god, in his liver. Oh my god. And he gosh. turned he turned around to be like, because the guy was leaning over him to look like this, and had his had the gun pointed down in oh. his back. He wasn't paying attention. The hammer drops. He just didn't have a disc, didn't oh. have a primer in the muzzleloader. Got very lucky. If he would have had a primer in the muzzleloader, the dude would have been dead right there. And then heard the, heard the hammer drop, heard the snap of the hammer, and turned around to see a dude there with a gun Jeez. pointed into his liver, like point blank range. My, uh, my friend and coworker, Lyle Hebel at Stone Glacier, got shot in the guts when he was a kid by a, a, uh, really? a, a greenhorn hunter. Yeah. Lau grew up out in the sticks out in Wyoming, and uh, they took a buddy out and introduced him to hunting. And I don't know if they were – I'm going to butcher the story, but I don't know if they're hunting rabbits or whatever they were doing, but I believe it was a small caliber rifle like a 22. And by the end of the horrible story, Lau had a 22 bullet in his guts. Really? Yeah. Man. My old man, my old man got today. shot in the 40s. Yeah. With a shotgun, right? Someone shot him in the foot hunting rabbits. Whoa. But I've never even, like, it's funny because I've never even seen, like, a close, I mean, I haven't been around even, like, a close call. But God, you hear about it, man. It's scary. Keep your stuff. Muzzle control. Yeah, that'll solve all, every one of those problems. Safety first. Yeah. yeah. Lots of guys Treat every, the, sorry. It's the treat. <laughs> He's never going to let this. Uh, <laughs> treat every, uh, every weapon happening. like it's loaded. Every gun's loaded. Yeah. Yeah. The gun club I used to belong to in Washington. They had like that some major general's principles or whatever. Well, the NRA has the safe gun handling laws. Right? Don't point at anything you don't. It's always loaded. Don't mm. point at anything you don't intend to shoot, and uh, never put your finger on the trigger until you're ready to fire. Yeah, NRA safe gun handling laws. Hard hard to mess up with those three rules. It, it rules out a lot of. They're pretty fallible. If, if everyone followed that, we wouldn't yeah. be having the conversation. I shot right one now. of those Remingtons one time. I don't remember what make or model of the gun this is, but those Remingtons when you flipped them from. Uh, Fire or safety to fire mm-hmm. when the oh the you talking about go. the Remington seven hundreds when yes. they were having those that defense yeah I was trying to shoot a fox on Kodiak one day and got lined up on this fox he's like two hundred yards away and I flipped it from safety to fire and boom gun went off and what are you talking about scared the because you had a finger on it no I did not touch the trigger oh. at all no there, there was a it was oh was, I know Remington yeah. seven hundred yeah it was people a big got controversy. shot yeah. people got. A lot of people ended in up Montana. Shot. There was a defect in, how you, that how was years ago, right? I mean, yeah. three, four, five yeah, years ago. This was yeah, 2013, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Lots of people wrote in about, about deer crawling. <laughs> we talked about a guy that was saying, I watched a deer crawl on its knees across a power line cut. Hmm. Our buddy Steve Jones, who's a wild game chef, a very good one. Um me and Yanni have uh, fed off his cookings. Mm-hmm. I like Hope, that guy. Hopefully we'll get to do that again. Good dude. He says, now, he, he, he says, he similar, sees three does, three antlerless deer cross a power cut on his farm. This feller's from Missouri. Two of them cross normal, any, as normal as any other deer. The third and largest, when she crossed the cut, she crouched down and slunk across the cut without pausing or stopping. Once she got across, she stood back up 
and walked away like any other deer. She was moving quickly enough. He's like, I'm positive she was not walking on her knees as one guy that rode in to say he saw a deer walking on his knees. It was just a deep crouch and it looked extremely weird and definitely appeared to be an attempt to reduce her visibility. Another guy rode in and said, another guy rode in and said he flat out watched a buck crawl on its knees. They were making a deer drive and he's he looks back and his dad's coming through and he watched the bucks go down and crawl on his knees for 75 yards right in front of him no one ever believed him <laughs> like he, he says when he heard him. us talk about it, he says he about drove off the road <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering thinking about this the other day i was wondering why the deer crawl why would it crawl across the power line it's wide open what do you no, well, there's a lot of you get brushy power cuts. Yeah, a brushy oh, power yeah, they're cut. typically they're typically brushy. I was thinking like, okay, it's all second growth, all right. it's all regeneration, man. All right. I was just thinking, staying keeping low pro, yeah. and they know that people are always perched up on power that's, lines. That's one thing. Oh, I've, yeah. I've perched up on more than one power line <laughs> in my life. I've shot a lot of turkeys on power. Lines. Yeah, I've killed so turkey like under a power line. Yeah, we got a turkey this spring on one of those super loud power lines. It's real crack. <laughs> yes, you yeah. killed two under there where you're like hunting, and you're like you know, you're like trying to get into the peacefulness, and also it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Electric. nature yeah it's electricity but that's the thing is like it's one of those like power cuts are one of those weird things where typically people are like oh yeah if any activity of man is negative but if you if you live in some poor and i grew up in some poor low grade <laughs> poor ass soil country where the typical like uh, like a, a forest there kind of matured into because sandy soils, and it kind of matured into like small white pines and bushy little scrub oaks, like not rich place. But power cuts were good. Edge habitat, man. Yeah, because it created, it created brush and it created edge habitat. Because you can go out in the woods in most places, yeah. you can look 200 yards. Just not a lot of cover. So power cuts, like as a fur trapper, you, you, dude, you'd get as excited about a power cut as you did a river. Things traveled on power cuts. Yeah, I caught a lot of fox on power cuts because yeah. they, can, they can hunt the brush. And there's usually like a little road down them, so it gives like a game yeah. trail that runs down through the brush and everything would run a power I know, cut. Yeah, I know a lot of guys that are put a tree stand up, see a power cut, put a tree stand up every mm -hmm. time. Yeah, edge habitat. This is a break, a break in something and in a travel corridor. Well, that deer that was crawling must not have thought, well, a guy might be in a tree so he can see down either way whether i crawl or not it's hard to say how much the deer thought about it but it is noteworthy <laughs> and, and i and I, I just want to acknowledge like i have a hard time picturing it but i want to acknowledge that there's people out there debating this point a little bit of follow-up too on yanni's going to explain this one the ohio a, a guy shot a gigantic whitetail in ohio uh, 228 is that what 228 we're... inch oh. buck 26 points is this the world record one or that was no that, that was, was iowa that was iowa it was that was 320 yeah yeah this is the poacher a poacher in ohio <laughs> it's a little different and he did a bunch of crazy stuff like he had a doe and then he like cut one's deer's head off and tried to oh, act guy. like another deer anyway he had all kinds of stuff it was shady shady it wasn't like he messed up and made a mistake it was like he was he killed a buck saw a big buck shot the big buck tried to switch everybody's heads around just weird stuff and winds up like super guilty super guilty super sound guilty. super guilty semen stuff 
and gets a fine that's $28,000. This is the that's, Amish guy. Yeah? That's right. Everyone right. likes to point out that the brother's Amish, but I mean, come on. If he I was Methodist, as a descriptor, if he was Methodist, <laughs> would that be a big part of the story? <laughs> well, he, he's probably wearing you know a certain type of clothing. Well, they, they said he was unavailable for comment. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it's like a little. It's like it's not, he did not it's, respond to text messages. It's not racist because it's not like a racial thing, but it's like a prejudice. It's like people, everyone's like Amish man. The headlines: Amish man. It would never be like I, Baptist man, <laughs> dude. Catholic, I gotta, doesn't have the same I thing. gotta tell you, I was what is going? <laughs> I was going through mountain lion attacks. You know, there are the mountain lion attacks in in Washington. Um, last year and you know I'm, I'm searching through google and they're all the exact same story but one of the headlines i feel purely in order to make it stand out a little bit more is instead of cyclist attacked by a mountain lion jewish <laughs> cyclist attacked by a mountain lion <laughs> yeah they're <laughs> like, racist what? cat man like that's, they're that's... even getting like it's gotten this bad <laughs> the anti-semite cat <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized they didn't drink anything all day and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. 
I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying? I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash eater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash eater. Make sure you use code MEATEATER. To choose your free for a year offer plus twenty dollars off your first order. Yeah, I don't get like like I don't know. Amish might be more of a descriptor. Like you could picture what he might look like. Oh yeah, I know, but I I, I'm a little that. bit. I, I'm like a little bit uncomfortable with. Um, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with. I don't, I don't know what it's playing into. I don't yeah. know what it's feeding into. No, I agree. Yeah, Maybe to have because, your denom- you're like, but it's a big denominator. But it's like, I don't know, it just makes you like slightly uncomfortable. Why would it not be just a poacher? It's true. Like. I don't it's know, like they, even worse, you know. They keep such a low profile, maybe, and maybe they're known to, I don't know, to never do any <laughs> these, bad. These are the exact stereotypes we're right? talking about. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. But that's why I'm saying why someone would, yeah. would say, well, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't just any poacher. Freaking Amish guy. Oh, Amish guy. Yeah, you, wouldn't Amish. Believe. you wouldn't believe this. You guys guy. know, the good, you know, you know the parable of the Good Samaritan. Oh. Well, um, the thing with the Good Samaritan is Samaritans were known as horrible people. So people are always like, what you're saying is a good bad guy. Yeah, you're saying like <laughs> these guys are the, the Samaritans are the worst of the worst. Against all this one. So yeah, a lot of people don't realize that that's part of it. Like the Samaritans had a very bad I, I gather, I don't know, I hope I'm not offending any Samaritans out there, had a real bad reputation. And then so it's like the fact that one turns out being good is uh. real surprising. So when you say like an Amish poacher, I don't know if you're saying like these pillars of virtue. <laughs> or if you're saying just goes to show you <laughs> yes, can't trust certain religious people. So we were talking about or no, so someone just wrote in to explain how they had come up with the twenty eight thousand dollar fine, right? Yeah, which is, is a it? good story. Yeah. And in and I tried to get a hold of the legal department over at uh, Ohio Game and Fish. I should have called you, Pete. Yeah. That's where you hail from. Maybe you would have said, right. Oh yeah, yep. call Cindy. <laughs> Um, but uh, I, I couldn't get an answer on our question. They, they have a formula on how they figure out um, how much to find a person. Interesting. And it's exponential to the uh, size of the antlers. The formula is gross score minus 100. That's the part that gets me. Go yeah, ahead and finish. Me we'll too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to the second power. Times a dollar and sixty-five. Wow! So it's the the so this buck was two twenty something. Yes. Take a hundred off. So you say, yeah, like you ax a hundred off and then square that number, and then times it by a buck sixty-five. <laughs> yep. I, I love the sentiment, and I'm sure that someone could explain it, but I don't get the part about was it like without taking a hundred off, it wound up being like, man, that's a big fine. How can we make it less? And so I was like, well, let's take a hundred off, then square it. 
Was there, then, any, was there any more 65. detail to this? Because that seems nonsense. It's how they calculate it. No, we're trying to figure out where, they, where, where it came from. Like, where did the dollar sixty-five come from? I'm, I'm sure that there is a... Um, Repeat it. It's gross score yep. minus 100. Yep. Then square that number. Squared times, times $1.65. $1. I love it. So, for example, we know that a 230-inch deer gets you about $28,000 in trouble. <laughs> and actually, I did the math. 230 ended up being at 27885 Because there were some add-ons. I yeah. Think. yeah. So... Let's just say you're not uh, that lucky of a poacher to get into 230 and uh, you just kill a 150 inch. And they start at 125 in Ohio. That's where they can, that's when the trophy starts. Oh, so that's when it's like a different kind of poaching. Yeah. I like this system, man, because I think if a dude, if a guy like shot a, if a guy shot a spike, it's just, I don't know, man. It's like, I don't, I'm not condoning anything, any kind of violation or poaching, but it's a, a guy that poaches trophy class stuff, in my mind, is a different kind of poacher. The guy who's poaching for the but pot. I feel like this might be encouraging folks just to shoot the spikes. Be like, hey, that spikes for us. You know, now that we've given the formula, well, the guys will be out, poachers the, will be not, out It's not that bad. Okay, we're running out. But he shoots it. Let's say he shoots a forky. <laughs> a twenty. Okay. Just do it. A twenty-eight inch. Uh, you know, sure. But you can't, you can't even subtract a hundred yeah. inches from. A so it's a negative. negative. Oh. I think the state pays you at that point. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they owe you money. <laughs> That's got to be what it is. Maybe. Well, no, what it is is... Because the, the they, restitution, the trophy restitution doesn't kick in until it gets to a certain size. Right. This is... in. I mean, the way this is set up is that animal has been... That belongs to the state. To has the been people. To the people of the state. Has been costing the people of the state mm. money as it grows, right? Yeah. Yeah. And by the time it gets into a trophy class animal... It has lived much longer and eaten much more. And it has a greater cultural value. That's the thought. They tried to recoup the grass the thing ate? No, man. You're saying that we, <laughs> well, management, like, man, ma- management. management is expensive. Oh, okay. Got, uh, we're okay. creating we're not, a system. We're not talking about his day-to-day a, diet. No, no. no. What he had for press is what I was It's hearing. expensive to the state. I think you can justify it very slowly. It's expensive to the state. It, it takes work and effort. To have it be to create, to create a situation animal, yeah. which deer can become three, four, five years old. Gotcha. It's like it happens not by accident. It happens we committed to allowing it to happen, and you just screwed the whole thing up. And part there's of a lot of people. Saying, pay, there's a lot of people who are paying real good money, buying licenses and paying lease fees and putting out tree stands, and all of a sudden you robbed everybody of that. And now you're going to pay up. What if you showed it? What if you shoot a doe? It's probably a different set of. You don't get the. You still get a fine. No restitution. No, yeah, there's yeah, no there's like no. trophy restitution. But then also, I think, if I'm hearing you correctly, Steve, you're also like the odds of a man who is poaching because he is, he or she, I suppose, this poacher is poaching because they are starving to death and them happening to come up with a 237-inch deer. Yeah. It you probably wouldn't happen. Real lucky. Real, real, real lucky. unlucky. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, personally, I see both sides of it. I'd be like, well, it's poaching's poaching. It doesn't matter. I see that. I also see that if you're out trying to poach trophy class animals, it's just a worse, like all crime is relative. Well, mm-hmm. it would make sense to me if there's like the baseline punishments and this is just an extra add on in case you're in, in case that deer is bigger than or scores bigger than 125 inches. That's- yeah. Well, the, the exponential, you know, the squaring really does a lot because the 150 incher only costs you 4,000. Oh man! Yeah, 
They don't want you getting them big old booners, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, just even on like the the poacher, because you're starving to death example, right? Even if you are poaching for big ass trophy class animals, likely not going to be your first foray into the poaching field, and you're coming up with a 237 inch buck. Yeah. Even if you are dead set on a big trophy class critter. You probably got some real poaching under your belt by the time you come up with one of those. Yeah, you've actually gotten good at it. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's an interesting subject. You want to hear one that makes its own gravy, too? Here's another poaching case that makes some gravy. You guys ready for this? Mm. You know, I, I, before I do that, guy asked, um, can you make hog jerky without getting trick? Mm. Got to sure. get it up to temp, man. Sure, when I got reported, when I did, when I got trick analysis, uh, you know, it's a CDC reportable disease, so you had to go down and they, and, and uh, I was reported in King County, and the guy that got it before me got it in 2007. He got it from Mountain Lion Jerky. Oh, oh wow! Because if you're not bringing it up to temp, you're it's not destroying. Still the, alive, You're yeah. not destroying the cysts. So if you're making just like if you're taking trick positive meat. And just air drying it or drying it at 100 degrees. Not good enough. You're still still susceptible to getting tricked. So I'm assuming he's talking wild hog jerky. Yeah. You got to bring it up. I haven't made a whole lot of bear jerky, but when I have, we just threw it in the oven and, and, and stuck it in the oven at 200 for a long time just to get it up to temperature. No. What do you got to think about so that? So the answer is yes, you can. He's saying, let me, he says, can you make hog jerky without getting tricked? I, the, my answer would be, well, that, that, that's a, that's, I don't like how it's phrased. Certainly, there, there are <laughs> yes. plenty of people. Yes, the answer, the answer is, is yes. He's saying, can you, now if he said, can you make hog jerky and be certain you will not get tricked, then the answer is no. no. Yeah. So can you make hog jerky without getting tricked? I'm sure it's been done. Is that a good idea? No, it's not a good idea. Yeah. Because you are not killing the... Yeah, most likely you're just going to end up with a little more overcooked jerky than you'd probably like to have. Yeah. Yep. And jerky that's been cooked tougher. is not as good as jerky no. that's been dried. What's the special number we go for to kill trigonosis? 160. 160. Yeah. Mm. 160. I recently had a debate with someone where they're saying, uh, I was saying you got to cook javelina. Mm. Do you know of anybody getting tricked from javelina? And I had to acknowledge that, no, I don't. Well, they eat meat? They're like omnivorous. Yeah. They eat all kinds of meat. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I've I've actually, man, yeah, I've eaten. It has to be a possibility. I've eaten undercooked undercooked javelina before. I mean, like Uh not undercooked, but under 160. I'm sure someone's someone's looked into it. Type that up, Yanni. That's a good. That's a good point. I, has anyone ever gotten tricked? Has anyone ever gotten tricked from a javelina? javelina. Uh, it's been it's been linked to walrus, oh, wow. bear, wild pigs. Why? Yeah. Why? Like you said, why wouldn't a javelina? Mountain lions carry it. It's not like it's just a pork thing. No. Mountain lions carry it. Wolves. Yeah, all that stuff. Even like like weasels, rats, mice. There's no way that a javelina, which will go and eat a dead dog if you let it, <laughs> it's exempt from this. Is not getting it. So there's no there's no ungulates that carry. Not trick. that I know of, no. 
Okay. No. Even though white-tailed deer have now been proven to eat birds out of their nests. I yeah. saw that. Yeah, people have seen it. So you wonder. That's Very crazy, weird. man. You wonder. Very weird. If you got a deer out and your kid's like, let's see what's in the stomach. <laughs> a little baby and it's bird. Full of little baby birds. Come yeah, on. That's, very that's horrible. <laughs> tell that dude in tell, tell that dude in Europe, even our even our deer yeah. eat songbirds. <laughs> okay, here, here's a here's a here's a poaching case that, that this is the one that I think makes its gravy, makes its own gravy. And the way it's been covered is annoying. For okay. This is a tricky one. This is a tricky one. So there's some guys in Prince William Sound. Um, and they kill a black bear out of its den and kill some cubs out of the den. Oh. Now, a couple things that are interesting. One, they this den is under surveillance by Fish and Game <laughs> for a study. So these guys do it all on camera. Yikes. Uh, so there's no doubt about guilt here to get them on film doing this they one thing that's interesting is they kill the a, a black bear sow and kill some cubs but then butcher the butcher the sow for meat and haul off the meat but then later decide to come back and get the cubs these guys get hit with some heavy duty fines uh $20,000 fine jail time um and then they lose a ton of stuff right down to boats. Boat, trailers, guns, all kinds of stuff. And this, I'm looking at this, this publication called The Hill. And, and this is where this thing starts to make its gravy. So these guys get humongous fine. And this thing confuses this rule that we've talked about a ton of times, which everybody keeps reporting in the most irresponsible way possible. Where in Alaska, there was recently, under the Obama administration, they put some, some game management practice restrictions on refuge lands in Alaska. So you're talking like 13% of the total land mass of Alaska is in the refuge system. And the federal government came in and had some federal overlays of management practices that could not be used by the state on refuge land. And it had to do, it has to do with like bear baiting, um, with den digging, of, you know, digging black bears out of a den with artificial light. Like they banned it where the state couldn't decide to use management practices on refuge land. Meanwhile, the state is able to do whatever management practices they desire on the other 87% of the state. And in most cases, do not allow these management, don't allow these management practices. So this is a funny example where he, here's a guy hunting, not on a refuge. He kills a bear in his den, goes to jail, gets a massive fine, loses all of his equipment, loses his boat, loses his guns, can't hunt anymore, right? Not on a refuge land. It's in a place where the state does not allow the killing of cubs. So this piece then reports it, and they point out like, oh, they, they, they do so little research. They point out that, oh, um, it used to be, uh, they, 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 they tried to make it illegal, but Alaska won't, doesn't want it to be illegal. It's like, no. Not exactly right. This is Alaska deciding that in this place, that's not legal, and then prosecuting the piss out of a guy 
who breaks the rule. But you keep seeing this narrative pushed in the news that somehow Alaska wants to just gloves off, dig every bear in the state out of its den and kill it. And people will not, no one, no (laughs) one will report this responsibly and explain like what it is that they're talking about. They keep making a big deal about shooting, like, oh, they're going to shoot caribou out of boats. That happens in one game management unit on the North Slope where people have traditionally intercepted migrating herds of caribou as they swim across big rivers. Mm-hmm. So the whole state, you can't. There's a place that you can where they feel that it's judicious uh, and, and conforms to their management policies to do it there. But no, like, no one will report this properly. That's what makes the headline. There's a lot of details around that case, too. Didn't those guys got, what, a 30-day... There was some jail time involved. It was like a 30-day sentence, but it was commuted, maybe? The son was uh, commuted, and the father's uh, was to be carried out, I believe. Because the, the kid was only, the kid was, I think, 17 when it happened. Well, but Jeez. the father also falsified who killed what and lied and falsified some documents and did some things that, that were yeah, over correct. and above. Just dad, uh, somehow during this exchange, dad uh, wanted to make, make it uh, so he had shot the bear, not... yeah. Not the kids, so it, it was dad's tag that ended up on the sow, I believe. Oh, really? And they've got game cam, as you said, they've got game camera footage of, of, the, of Jeez. all of it. You, you know, it's a little bit, like, a little bit too late, speaking of the fine thing, is, that's good. The kid also, part of his sentence, which is, like, community service, suspended jail time, fines, they also sentenced him to take hunter safety course. <laughs> 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 two years, uh, two years no hunting. Two years no hunting for that. Ugh. It's good. Ah, what do you what do you do? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I just feel like these folks have been living underneath a rock somewhere. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, they're obviously they came back two days two days later to try to clean it up. Like they obviously knew what was going on, trying right. to hide it. Yeah. So throw the book at him, I say. Yeah, that's not 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 cool, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you want me to tell them about the Pennsylvania guy that might get a couple of fines for not poaching, but doing oh, something yeah. good? Yeah, this is something we should talk about. I've been meaning, I wanted to talk about this. Yeah. This is a crazy story. Yeah. This fella gets a call from his buddies, buddy who must live on, or he's near a lake, and he says, Hey, man, a bunch of deer fell through the ice, struggling. So he shows up on the scene. Some of the deer have gotten out, but there's a small buck. It's a spike or a forky. And it was a fork. Yeah, he's still stuck in the water. So uh, there's already some rescuers there, fire department, I think, and they get the buck out. And I think as the story went, there was already some management, um, wildlife management folks there on the scene. And um, the guy volunteers to take the buck home and try to warm it up. <laughs> Nobody says no. So he's like, so they're like, yeah, because the buck's like, is not moving, right? He's just laying there, barely breathing. So these figures, I'll stick him in the garage, throw some blankets on him, and hopefully get his, you know, temperature back up and run out of the garage door. Well, uh, I think he's in the garage for 36 hours or something and unfortunately dies. Oh, no. Well, then the Pennsylvania Game Commission comes around and says, you shouldn't have taken that deer. You can relocate wildlife, but it has to be from one wild area to another you can't take it home and keep it alive and now he's looking to find up to eight hundred dollars oh the deer died talk about that yeah 
that's that's very hard to prove because look at where whitetails live. Like that could be as wild as that dude's garage could be just as wild as His where backyard that running around. Yeah. I don't. I I would disagree with the garage as wild as <laughs> anything. <laughs> maybe maybe it needed to be outside next to the driveway next to the shrubs, and then I I see what you're yeah. saying. The the pictures he's getting is a picture. It's like. He's got it laid out with a blanket and a pillow. <laughs> I got a pillow for it? Yeah, it's got a pillow. It's, I, uh, it's like laid out like a child laying there. It's like, it's, it's like a deer. So he didn't even, I would like to, I have a lot of questions about did he check he's on like the deer? He's like tucked in. Yeah. He's, he's in the garage. The buck is laying on his side. His head's on a pillow. And he's like tucked in with a blanket. <laughs> he's trying to help. And they're rubbing yeah. his I think it's all boils down to your intention. Because they thought down. petting it would calm it. No. No, that's not going to help. No. That's like not what he's after. No. Uh, my buddy Ron Layton one time was he pulled he fished two fawns two fawn blacktails out of the ocean wow. and pulled them up on his landing craft and I th- one died I think then the other one he got wrapped up in a space blanket and got it to shore and wrapped up in another blanket and got it warmed off and eventually ran off so he'd be like breaking the law but do you like he here, didn't bring it home here's a whole different left turn would you do you eat it at that point if the deer dies in your garage with the pillow and the blanket, I'm, I'm guy, thinking this guy probably doesn't eat it based this on the way he treated it. This guy just buried it. Yeah, I would, eat it. I would eat it. I feel like it's respect to the deer that you would eat it rather than just bury it. I can relate pretty closely to the story. I was out antelope hunting one day and found a whitetail fawn that had been smoked by a truck and was laying in the middle of the road, very wounded, um, heavily concussed, but its, its legs were not broken. And within a year of finding this deer, I had found another fawn that was horribly hit by a car alive all legs broken and i I shot the deer put it out of its misery on the side of the road and that was a horrible experience anyways i find this other one and its legs are not broken so i did what this pennsylvania guy did i loaded him up and i called fwp as i took it home and i said i've just found this wounded baby deer they said that cannot be in your possession you need to uh Go put it back where you found it or quickly hand it off to someone else. So uh took care of it for a short period of time and handed it over to a wildlife sanctuary in Hamilton, Montana. And as far as I know, that deer lived a happy, healthy life. I doubt it. <laughs> Why do you doubt it? Because I hear I uh I've heard from people that like that they have a horrible time uh dealing with wounded wounded deer. This it's thing, to, this thing was heavily concussed. Like its head was just spinning around. Why do you feel that lived lived, lived happily ever after? Well, I I was uh, around the you deer for upwards up? of a week oh. and uh, took it <laughs> to Are the you wild. Yeah, I love it. Not really. Took it's it, interesting. <laughs> took it to you have the a wild. soft spot for it now. Yeah, I do. I yeah, especially after it was like this. This uh, you know, I had like a second chance because a year prior, I had. Uh, yeah, put that, put down this poor little creature that I can't fix your broken legs. You know, this thing didn't have a chance. So I I did. I I finished off a very wounded deer on the side of the road, and it broke my heart. And then a year later, I was like, maybe this one has a chance. Its legs are not broken, and so it made it through the first week. And uh, as far as I know, lived happily ever after in Hamilton, Montana, at a wildlife sanctuary. Did they name it? 
No, I named it Little Baby Road Rash because it was uh, <laughs> scraped up real bad. On this, is, uh, this is really, I'm looking at you totally differently now, man. Yeah. I, I like what I'm seeing. Yeah. I like what I'm seeing when I look at you. Yeah. This is a related story uh, that a guy wrote in about. Guy lives in Idaho and he runs into a guy who is from an out of stater from Ohio who's out wolf hunting. And the guy's asking around. He says he's been hunting. Uh, his took us off. Hasn't seen any wolves. This guy says, well, I'll keep my eyes out and let you know what I hear and what I see. And likewise, let me know if you're uh, running any elk because uh, he's hunting for elk. Oh, guy's from Missouri, not Ohio. So he goes out hunting elk. The local goes out hunting elk, gets into a bunch of wolves, calls the dude from Missouri. The dude tells him, hey, man, get out to this area. The guy goes out. Sure enough, gets a wolf. So he's real happy with this local fella. Then he calls him, and he's saying, you're not going to believe this. This is the Missouri guy in Idaho calling the local fella. You're not going to believe this, but we turned onto a bridge, and there was a big bull standing on the bridge. And this bull jumped off the bridge. Oh, dang. And it right now is laying down on the rocks. Wounded. With a broken back. Oh, so come get it <laughs> yeah well a while later the guy calls the, the the wolf hunter calls the guy back goes i'm telling you man we just drove by again and now it's dead mm. on the rocks and he says it's a big bull and the guy the, the local guy was thinking well they're, they're from missouri it's probably a raghorn what do they know about big bulls <laughs> but him and his buddy who still got an elk tag drive over it's a 350 inch bull oh, wow <laughs> A 350 bull <laughs> laying dead under the bridge. And he said, he said we had a grueling 20-yard pack out. <laughs> yeah. Tagged it and hauled it home with him. I've seen a video of a... Uh, Unreal. He said the meat was all good. Video of somebody uh, driving their car across a bridge and some rut-crazed whitetail comes onto the bridge and it doesn't know where to go and it spills off the side and hey. executes itself pretty promptly. When I was going to the University of Montana... I can't remember if it was five or seven mule deer, got into the parking garage, spiraled their way up the ramps to the top of the parking garage, and then all bailed off and were all laying dead in a pile below the parking garage. Like a no group way. of lemons oh. off the you edge know. there. Uh, and I remember at the same around the same time, a mountain lion killed a muley and stashed it against the mechanical building. Nice. <laughs> Buried it against the mechanical building. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> He's like, this big rock. I'm going to drag it over this big rock over here. University of Montana, you know, I think there's two students that have been thoroughly beaten by whitetails on campus. Wow. Yeah, this one gal was walking back from a, a Grizzly basketball game. Um, this is a sports team called the Grizzlies, not could be the confused. other thing that you can put together. I was in picturing Grizzly Bears playing basketball. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, then, uh, yeah, she came around the corner and, uh, you know, dark corner of a building there on campus and startled the white-tailed doe who had turned into the corner and didn't have anywhere to go so she the doe turned around and proceeded to pummel this gal into a massive concussion hmm yeah it's too bad she's still alive yes as far as i know (laughs) so is the deer what else you got yanni i got one Go Remember for this it. conversation? Let me ask you guys this. Let me poll you guys. 
on a poll, you, it's a poll that finds out how smart people are. Uh-oh. Say you're looking at a little button buck. Speaking of bucks. And you're looking at a little button buck. And you see how he has, like, the raised hair where his antlers will be. Do bucks shed that little teensy disc or hmm. not? The, oh. <clears throat> I'm going to say, uh, everybody's going to be quiet. Now I got to. Well, I'm I, abstaining I, from this because I know, I know the answer. You know the answer? Yeah. I, I, well, say, I do not know the well, answer. If you know the answer, then you know that it's slightly inconclusive. I'm going to say, like, maybe they don't. I would say it's part they, of the I'm going to say they do. I'm going to say, like, they spit off a little scab or I'll something. I'll say maybe they don't because it becomes part of the base of the pedicle later on. So you're saying it throws off a little scab. That's my guess, yeah. You're going middle ground. Like, no, you don't no, want to say saying, there's nothing. No, I'm saying that he's, he's going to shut off a little. You're kind of spineless, aren't you, Pete? No, I want to say I would not I describe say myself soft, like that. <laughs> <laughs> he's a soft man. He's a soft man with a deer phone, I can tell That's you that. True. The hard man with a mountain lion. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I think I think they shed a little something. I go do not shed. I, I think you're probably right, but I'm not sure. We were talking about this because some guy was asking about it, and Brody was digging into it. And he, like the pedicles, which begin growing at a couple months of age in buck fawns, provide the base from which the antler will grow. Yeah. So the little small hair covered hair covered bumps are just a developing pedicle. Yeah. They are not antlers. It's like the root. Infantile antlers or actual hardened antlers on a buck fawn have not. This is where this gets tricky. They're saying this is a research that was done in Virginia. They said in Virginia, they have not been documented, meaning no buck, they don't know of any buck in Virginia that actually grew a hardened antler, a button buck that grew a hardened antler and dropped it. But it says that they have, they have been reported in other states. That it would grow a little deensy, deensy. That's not a word. Nope. Teensy, teensy is. Teensy is what I was getting at. <laughs> little weensy, teensy, <laughs> teensy, teensy, teensy. The little tiny thing. Yeah, they grow their first set of antlers when they are approximately one year of age. Yeah. So you're saying that's the development of the pedicle is what you're seeing, but reported there. That's where it gets tricky. All that. All that means is some guy said, "Hey, man." I seen it. <laughs> yeah, Cal said you said you knew the answer. Cal, is that where you were? Give going? us the answer, yeah, Cal. Cal what are you, you holding down? This, like all this hardcore know-how. Yeah, it is. It is my understanding that that is the development of the pedicle. Um, it does not shed, um, and um, if uh, you know, you can, some of those big bucks may just have uh, extra inch or two on everybody right. by having an overdeveloped pedicle. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not no, saying they're dropping you, you, get, you can't you don't measure the pedicle man no just by looks yeah look might look yeah yeah true you good yanni you got any uh what do you got to add there I got man? nothing to add to that got no concluders even <laughs> no not even a general concluder oh i can come up with one is it time for that yet yeah it's not you gotta go somewhere no <laughs> It's Friday, man. Oh, no, I'm yeah. just feeling. I'm feeling like we. I, like what I was set out to get done has been gotten done. Oh, mm. um, I got a good one Hit that uh, Charlie wrote in about. 
And since we got Pete here, I think he can help us answer it. Cause I actually was dealing with this the other day and I uh, was wishing I could call Pete and ask him what I should do. But uh, Charlie's uh, wondering how we keep our gear and clothes clean, especially from blood. And how do we keep them uh, odor free? What tricks and tips do we have? Mostly I was wondering about how to get the blood out of my stone glacier pack. Mm. Packs are a big one yeah, for sure. One. Because you bleach them, it ruins the stitching. Yeah, don't don't go bleaching your backpack. I don't use bleach. Yanni uses hydrogen peroxide. <coughs> bad or good, Pete? I think that sounds a little aggressive. I think it's aggressive if you leave it on. From you're what you're I, rinsing it off pretty quick. Immediately. Yeah. Okay. Like I spray, brush, rinse, spray, brush, rinse until it's gone. I'm I'm a soaker. I, I get my bathtub full of hot water and I just submerge everything for 24 hours and then I come back with a dish brush and buff it off. And then kind of repeat that cycle a handful of times. As far as keeping blood off your gear, if, if you don't have blood on your gear, you're not doing it right. And uh, if, if you don't smell bad, you're also not trying hard enough. So it's just the nature of, of getting after it. But cleaning it up is simple enough. I think you just I, – I soak it and scrub it over and over with a light detergent. Yeah. Mark Canyon and the whitetail – uh, world will probably have a different answer for I think keeping the stuff over oh. free. But <laughs> I grew up in the whitetail world, man. That's just a different in the yeah, West. It's it a is. different thing. Man. Seth had his, a separate washing machine that he yeah. bought uh, somewhere. That's that, insane. Oh, yeah. So that he, that he only used. For I've hunted. Clothes. I've hunted whitetail outfits in, wow. in the Midwest that have <laughs> separate changing rooms, like separate uh, nuts, clean man. rooms where you go in and it has ionizers all you know mounted on the wall, and you have a locker with a and you put your stuff in a zipper, and it's got an ionizer to kill the scent and you're not allowed to go in there after you've eaten. You're not, I mean, you go in there with your hunting clothes and that's it. No smoking cigarettes. No smoking. No Can't smoke butts eating, in that room. Nothing. And that's, that's, that's what they do. And that's not, I've seen probably more extreme examples than that though. Um, the Yeti Panga bags, the, their um, waterproof duffel is completely sealed. So I used mm-hmm. to use that as a, you know, when you're traveling. That probably works that all the way up, no way or in or out. That's completely, you know, hmm. non-contaminated or uncontaminated, whatever the word is, um, situation. So you was try to guy, do that when you can. Was the uh, the mug asking that question? Was he um? Was he coming like like was he talking about like odor free for hunting purposes or odor free for just home purposes? Like he didn't want his stuff all smelly. Wasn't that much context in here? Got it. Sorry. Yeah, you're, that's, I mean, that's a regional thing. Like in the Midwest and in the East, hardcore whitetail hunters are for sure There's obsessed. definitely hardcore Western uh, bow hunters that, that do uh, go to the same extremes. They might sure. not do the same mm-hmm. things, but they certainly go to the I, same I haven't extremes. invested a cent in odor eliminating or odor masking things specific to hunting in I mean, since oh, easy ten plus years at this point. I still wash all my clothes with the like the scent-free detergent and all that. I gave up real hard on that. I grew up in Ohio hunting deers and drank that Kool Aid and was hardcore scent. I grew up covered. Drink, I grew up drinking Kool Aid. Yeah, I loved Kool Aid. <laughs> but once I moved to Montana and started hunting elk, I, you can't. You were going to sweat. You were going to smell bad. And if you're not, you're not probably not getting on elk so i'd have quickly just completely abandoned just play the wind 
Oh yeah. I think there's there's like room, and we you know we used to try. We used to have a lot of things. We even try like having extra clothes. We would like hike in one set of clothes and keep an extra set of clothes, and only use those clothes for when you're in like total hunt mode. Yeah. Going down to the creek with a bottle of uh, you know we had baking soda. <laughs> in a spray bottle and getting crick water and putting it in there and spraying everything like none of that hurts no you'd never be like well i would have got the bull if i hadn't been doing good scent control <laughs> uh none of it hurts but it's hard to maintain you just get, very you hard to maintain getting, you wind up getting lazy you wind up it just or you do a lot and on a backcountry hunt i'd say it's almost negligible i think where you can do it and make it worthwhile because you have just the luxury of a truck or a trailer is on like a, a spot, something like that, where you're hunting. You're, every day you're coming back to a camp where if you wanted to, you could have a separate change of clothes. Yeah, the, there. yeah, the bulk of the whitetail hunters are day hunting, man. Like they're going from their house. Yeah, you know, to walking where, out to the tree stand. Walking out to the tree stand, you know, from the lease or, or what, whatever. Then it seems doable. Yeah, but, why not be paranoid, man? Why not? Yeah. And plus, you're sitting, you're stationary in a tree, and everything, all your scent, and everything that um, you're affecting the environment around you, and, and yeah. you basically sit there and watch your effect all day. Like every time a deer comes and looks, I mean, that's you're keyed in on those effects. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're spotting and stalking, there's less of that intimacy. When I used to trap red fox, you had to be totally, you had to be more paranoid than than a paranoid bow hunter. Oh yeah. Can you talk about like all the equipment? takes a lot mm-hmm. last time we did this q a did i drop the one about shooting offhand and a buddy was watching his uh a guy was watching his buddy miss a bunch of bucks and he's like wondering about shooting rest in the field it's funny you mention that because i have one that's the same but probably different do you want me to read this one off can Dan? i tell you this and then you, then you do yours and tell sure. me if it's different or not yeah him and his buddy have an ongoing quote discussion so i gather that means an argument about sighting her rifles. His buddy thinks, his buddy likes to sight in his rifle shooting freehand. Because <laughs> that's technique. how he's hunting anyway. <laughs> that, that's all I need to know. Oh, okay, yeah. so. I'm going with. That's uh, like saying, I like to learn to drive says, while fully drunk. Yeah, he's like, you need to sight in your rifle in a real life shooting situation. <laughs> that's um, not the point. <laughs> and the guy that wrote it says, I, this has to be bullshit. Go ahead with yours. I agree with the guy writing in. No, but what was your guy's That's question? Bullshit. Um, Dan wrote in, so that a couple of weeks ago he had a buddy that missed a big mule deer buck because he took an offhand shot at 170 yards. Offhand. Offhand. Find a tree, bro. And uh, later they got back on the buck, and rather than taking the time to find a good rest, he tried another offhand shot and missed again. Oh. He tried to convince him to take the time to find a good rest before he shot, but he felt like the buck was going to get away. What are your thoughts on rifle, bipod, shooting sticks, and shooting off packs? What's the best shooting rest in the field? Very different question. <laughs> I think you need to examine on how much getting away of the whitetail buck did in that scenario. <laughs> Which did it get away more in? <laughs> Which scenario? <laughs> At the very least in that situation, if you feel like this buck's about the crest of the hill or he's going to do something where he's going to get away, find a tree and, and lean against the tree or do something. To, to get more stable. Don't just wheel, you know, swing your gun and, and blast one off. Like, that's a little bit irresponsible. I never even paid attention to yardages, but, man, I have not taken. Um, I have not taken a whole lot of cracks freehand, except for things that are just 
real close. Yeah. Go to the range and just lay down I'm prone. I was taking a rest hunting cottontails in my 22. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the range and lay down prone and shoot a shot. Then then kneel and shoot a shot. And then stand up freehand and shoot a shot and see where, where all three of those land. Guarantee it'll you're going to get further away from your target each time. Or I don't guarantee, but I would guess. I would What'd you take, Yanni? It was your damn question. Uh, yeah, I mean, 175 yards offhand is freaking super long. Compa- like, I don't even, I think if most, let's just say the people in this room, offhand 170 yards with a with your big game hunting rifle, if you threw an elk out there, an elk, giant ass animal, mm-hmm. I'd say that for us, I bet you we would just to land a bullet anywhere on that target, you'd be at 30%. You could probably hit it three times out of 10. That's my guess. Hmm. How far away was that at our Christmas party? How far away was that that (laughs) freehand shot? That was 100 yards. 100 yards. That was 100 yards? That was. Mm -hmm. That was was tricky. And I think what was the – I hit. Yeah. You had to freehand How many people hit? Four? Five? Me? I hit. Dude, I just closed my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I was like – I was feeling stressed, You hit, Cal? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so four of us hit that one. You hit? Yeah. There's a little gopher squirrel steel silhouette at 100 yards. But there weren't many more. Other than the four, yeah, other than us, there wasn't very many more. I don't know what that means. And but. that was out of 30 people. Roughly. Yeah, about 30 people. Hmm. Oh, was it that bad? That's a very hard That's shot. A that hard, was a very hard, hard, hard drill. And also, also, it was in yeah. the dark. Let's look, for most people, like they were, it was an orange painted target, but it was dark, and you were standing in a lit like porch area. That makes it a little bit tougher, I'd say. Yeah, it was real Annie Oakley stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to, I hate to admit this now, but I was surprised. Yeah. It's I like got Mitch it. Hedberg's thing. Like, he has a lot of acting experience, he says, because when he like, is playing pool and he makes a shot, he always has to act like he's not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I, I agree was with shocked, you. That's but I was like, I, got the, I was not feeling cocky. I was there early enough that I got to shoot it when it's still light out. So I felt oh. like maybe I had a distinct advantage. Probably over helpful. No, when I squeezed the trigger, I was like, well, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> but you tinked it? Yeah. Tink. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good for as far as uh, recommendations for good shooting rests, um, I always try to get low, as low as possible. Um, and if you don't have the time to get low or if you don't have the, you know, clear landscape underneath you to get low because there's brush or grass or whatever, then, uh, you know, the next best thing would be on your butt using some, using some shooting sticks or shooting sticks standing or, uh, yeah, the tree, like Ben said, I mean, that's a, everybody should know how to do that. You could easily make a 200 plus yard shot by leaning your rifle into a tree. Oh yeah, man. Um, if you get lucky, there's a, a cross branch. Yeah. You get you get a little crotch, and then uh, I mean it's damn near like having a you know tripod rest that yeah. you're using. Our buddy Tony Paul's kill. Uh, he teaches. He's a sniper instructor in the Marine Corps. And when doing like makeshift, using makeshift rests like a rail, trees, stuff like that, he talks about how you need to have either the push or the pull. Ah, uh, makes sense. Yeah, when you're sitting there with them shooting, it makes sense. But you, there's always a little bit of like, there's like, you, you, like even when you're going on a tree, you, you kind of like wedge it where you can get a little, you can lean into it a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah you, what you, you should what explain you, that a little bit more because that's that's what a good he meant one. by the pool was he was having, and this was when he was. You can watch on the episode with uh, Helen and Brittany in Wisconsin. Uh, at Doug's place, but when he was saying the pull, he was actually having having them hold on to the sling mm-hmm. coming off of the fore end 
and then pulling that in towards their body. Creating a little bit of tension. Exactly. That tension, you know, creates you to... Locks it up, lock binds up. it together. Yeah. Same thing like if you shoot off your butt, you put your elbows on the outsides of your knees and then kind of suck your arms in against those knees and that creates that tension too. Hmm. Or digging a toe in when you're laying prone and giving a little little push off yeah. your toe. Three Ste- points of contact. You guys steady things up. Shooting off your knee works pretty dang good. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see 
Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. You know what we've done a lot of, and this is some people think this is questionable, but I don't think it's questionable. I've shot a number of big game things and otherwise over my buddy's shoulder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We do it. I'm not recommending people do it, but I'm just telling you that it's something we've done successfully. I know, I've never seen that before. Oh, it works slick, man. You just like, we, we'll set up where you just, they just bend over, obviously put their hand on their ears, and you're like almost laying on them. And then tap them. And that means hold your breath. <laughs> and it's rock. It can be yeah, it's surprisingly solid. solid. Oh, I, I can't say that. I did run into it in Africa one time. Like the, the trackers over there don't do that for oh, yeah. dudes. Like, uh, yeah. Right here. Right here. On the shoulder. Right here. Right here. Um, but you can uh, – that brings up another thing. I am not a fan of like standing shooting sticks, particularly thinking about the ones they roll out in Africa. Like those no, I've never used them. They're, man, they're, it almost seems like it's more unstable than shooting freehand at some level. Oh, Weird. Gosh. It's weird, but I've never had luck with it. There's kind of an easy uh, cooking one. Oh, lay down me. Um, speaking of uneasy shooting. No. Um, all right. This is from old Evan uh, Husingvelt. Hmm. Husingvelt. <laughs> uh, from Sportsman's Alliance. Oh, yes. Oh. Um, Evan, this is... Roughly a month late in response, but we got <laughs> so gotcha, buddy. Uh, I'm smoking a whole venison backstrap tonight. I typically smoke it to a rare temp and then sear it in a cast iron with butter, which brings the finished temp to medium rare. Hmm. Have you ever combined this with the sous vide? Meaning, what he wants to do is he wants to smoke it to get the smoke flavor and then throw it in a bag and um, drop it in the sous vide to maintain the temp until he's ready to sear it. And he's wondering if if that would work and and be appropriate. I, I would think this would be like if you're in that Christmas situation and you're cooking for a bunch of folks and you got a bunch of things going on and you don't want to worry about overcooking something or serving something cold. Yeah, and that is a huge reason that sous vide is so popular in the restaurant industry. So. Yeah. Um, I think, you but could, he's saying like smoke it, sous vide it, sear it, and, sear it, and then sear it. Yeah. If the question is, have I done it? No. That and was, and I can't picture smoking it, and then having it be. Yeah, I just can't picture it. I think he just wants to maintain that temp so it's not cold, right? So he's not going to overcook it on the smoker. He's going to bring it off, and then he wants to maintain it at it at that below medium rare temp yep. and then when everything else is ready he's going to pop that thing out of the bag well in your, in your scenario you could uh what i've done in the past is because i don't like to because i let stuff rest sometimes it's always in a tin foil <clears throat> or aluminum foil but 
sometimes in a Yeti hopper. So you could smoke it or you smoke it, get it to, you know, 10 degrees or 10 to 15 degrees below where you want it. If you say you got an hour or two, wrap it in tin foil, put it in your Yeti, zip it up tight, right? Because you know over that time that heat's going to stay in there. It's going to continue to cook it. And then when you get it to where you're going, sear it then. Yeah. That's what I've done in the past. So just yep. say, just tell your, your bros you're coming over for Christmas. Like, hey, look, I, want, I just need a cast iron skillet ready to sear it when I get there. That yep. way it's crispy still and you don't. Because a lot of times when you let it rest after you seared it, it kind of takes away that crispy, crusty uh, consistency that you get when you sear it and then just serve it. All those good carcinogens we mm. like. So right. some people do sear and then drop it in the sous vide yeah. bag. So yep. you could do that too. But you definitely have all that moisture in the bag. And I, the I know. I used to think that was the way same. to go. But now I think it's like the reverse. Is Like when I first started messing with it, I thought that was cool. But now it's like definitely better to – because you just stew it. Yeah, you get a, you lose your out you you know, you, you, know, you lose your outside cool crisp. Well, that that yeah. searing that initial shock not too. Stew, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Like steams. It. But that initial shock, the searing it on all sides, it starts the process of that meat going to another stage, breaking down yeah. the protein. So you don't want her up. You don't want so that like crispy sear meat. and then put it somewhere that's going to steam it and then it gets soft again and you got kind of a weird consistency. But that, that's what a lot of the recipes are though. Really? Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then, then you come back out and crisp her up again. Yeah. yeah. It kind of yeah. depends what your finished product is too. If you're like going to pick something, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, guy asked, can you freeze deer heart and liver? Heart freezes as good as anything on the planet. I trim them, core them out, Trim them ahead of time? I do. Oh. I core them out, trim the fat off the upper, you know, the fat part. Yep. Trim the tallow off that and freeze them. Is that a space time? What's the reason? Why do I trim it first? Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. When I put my stuff, I put stuff in my freezer. <laughs> I clean it up, stuff man. In my freezer, I, I view it like it's, I, I feel like I like to it freeze it. needs to be finished. I, yeah, I yeah. typically, and I've done all versions, but in my mind, what I'm typically trying to do is freeze ingredient recipe ready yeah in a perfect world you're freezing recipe ready stuff so i'll take my heart core it wash it out core it trim the tallow off the top lip then freeze it it freezes for a million years Hmm. well a few (laughs) um the other day i was telling my kid what was he telling me he's telling me something i said man i bet you a million bucks He's like, oh, you got a million dollars? It's just a thing. It's just a, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a thing we say. Are you, are you serious? <laughs> really, Dad? Tad, are you serious right now? Yeah, he didn't want to take the bet. Um, <laughs> a million years, a few years. Liver, man, I used to say, like, I used to, freezing liver is not a good idea. Uh-uh. Oh. I've never had any luck with no, it. No, I know, but I used to, like, do it anyway, <clears> and he <throat> and thought, and, like, all oh, the water comes out, and it winds Whoa. up being, like, rubbery and, it just doesn't work. You just got to eat it. Ron Layton freezes. Yeah, Ron Layton always be freezing livers and giving them to me, and I take the livers home and <laughs> cook them. But it's just, he's like, oh, I got you another liver. I'm like, oh, yeah. man, that's wonderful, Ron. I have um, an antelope liver in the freezer right now specifically for sausage, though. Hmm. So I got a sausage recipe where I'll, I'll feed that liver into the grinder and mix everything up. Is I think it's a bad idea. <laughs> What kind of uh, sausage recipe is that? Liverwurst? No, but uh, my buddy Jim makes liverwurst that kicks ass. That's like the best breakfast meat on the planet. Not wild game liverwurst. Yeah. Really? Yeah. The thing about liverwurst is, though, is that 
there's not that when you look at everything in liverwurst, it's like ten percent liver. Exactly, and you're, because you're eating a lot of milk and a lot of fat. It's a yeah, yeah it's flavoring. Sounds good to me, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dude, that was my old man's sandwich. Oh, dude, I rye bread, liverwurst. Uh, sliced onion and mustard. It's gonna say oh. white onion. Yeah, I, kinda, I sometimes feel like going down and buy. Like I don't like to buy meat in stores, man. No, but I sometimes feel like going down and buy me a big old liverwurst. I'm or making we're, some. When we're traveling sometime. We should get a big thing of liverwurst, dude. We should. Oh. Um, you should come to the, the Latvian hunting camp in Wisconsin. Um, the guys <laughs> from uh, Milwaukee show up. I, I don't know. Probably twenty pounds of Usinger's. Uh, liverwurst and all sorts of other fine sausages and pork products from there, man. And that's all we eat. As far as like sandwiches going into the field, it's just rye, Latvian rye bread, which is kind of not typical It's not as rye good bread. as regular Latvian <laughs> rye bread. Oh, I think it's twice as good, better. Well, no, it's is not. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm telling you, man. But it's not what no, you consider rye. Out. It's more of a like a sourdough. Dude, you rye. can knock someone out with that bread. The stuff that I bring around—it's a dense bread. Yes, it's like a kind of bread. If you threw it to a duck, that duck better be a diver. <laughs> that duck, that bread's gonna sink going to sink down for lake, it. man. No, for sure, it's a dense bread. But yeah. I could see, man, on a liverwurst. Thing. God, I'm dying right I'm now. I'm making liverwurst with that liver. You guys are gonna mm-hmm. want some. I'm be like, sorry, bro. the kind my dad liked. <laughs> my tough, dad tough luck, like man. The, the lowest him. grade liverwurst. Oh. It was like Oscar. It had like a yellow wrapper on it. <laughs> It came in like a log with a yellow wrapper. No. And my old man, too, he would buy bread and not let other people eat his bread. So if you went into the kitchen, his it was loaf. like the old man's bread and then the family's bread. You couldn't have his bread unless you asked him about it. Did he grow up uh, poor? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> this is mine. I recommend if you're listening, you're going to go try some. Don't go into this regular grocery and buy the Oscar Mayer, uh, Braunschweiger, or Liverwurst. Braunschweiger. You're not getting the same. <laughs> like, go to a deli. Go to a Jewish deli and get the good shit because it's well worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who was, uh, they were Jewish and they'd always grown up going, have I talked about this before? Tongue? I told this story before. Never mind. Uh, one last one. You guys good for one more one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Here's another one. There's a guy that wrote in. He's all confused about the difference between party hunting, party hunting, mm-hmm. And party applications. Oh. Yeah. Oh. There's kind of like two questions from two different people, but one of the guys demonstrated some level of like, he's like, he's looking at a out-of-state hunting app, and it's a party application, and he's mm-hmm. like, dude, party hunting, that's no good. That's a great point. Yeah. I have yeah. never thought it's of two, it that way. Two very different things It's, a, sem- yeah. it's a semantics thing, yeah. but he's right. Like, yeah, using yeah. The, why, why not change the term, you know, in the uh-huh. application sense? Being like party application. I filled out a party T- application. T-Maps. Yeah. Why? <laughs> I can't, why can't I shoot your moose? So, okay. <laughs> we so all got who the tag. Start, who wants to start with party hunting? Which is where we're sharing tags. and well, Party hunting is where all. there's five people at this table. Yeah. Two of us have a tag. All five of us go hunting. Everybody's up to bat. Everybody's up to bat. Is that? Is that? Yeah. Mm. And it's legal in some places. No, like, I don't know if that's necessarily legal. That, I've never done it that way. Where I've done it legally, all of us would have had tags. We'd all be out in the field hunting. Like a deer Possibly drive. five deer come by. I shoot all five, and you guys come over and tag them. Mm. Mm. Yes and no. 
that might be the case some places, but there are places where you, I think, like, that's what I'm I think saying. those main moose tags, main moose. Yeah. you can designate, it's a party tag. It's a party tag. You can designate yeah, it's other different. shooters. You draw the tag, but you can designate other guys to hunt the same tag, and you can all be out. I think you're supposed to be in, like, you're supposed to be in some definition of communication. Yeah. But you draw it, you go, like, I'm party hunting with you, you and me are both hunting. But again, there's some sort of formal agreement or there's some sort of tag that's saying that this is the deal. It's not just like, oh, I'm out here without a hunting license or a tag at all. Oh, happen to well, yeah. You know, yeah, well, you there's know illegal party hunting. And then there's... Yeah, the party hunting in legal sense is what I was trying to describe. Yeah, there's, there's illegal. illegal. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah, we, legal we, is we what grew I'm up doing a lot of illegal party hunting. Yes. Okay, but here's the deal. Party hunting that what I just described is legal in Wisconsin. As you not it. not legal here okay. in Montana. We did it illegally in Michigan before <laughs> I was even old. Before I even knew that it was illegal, but it would be that your group of guys all have buck tags. Someone gets a doe tag. It was in, in our when I was growing up. It was like it was viewed as though if you see a doe, get it. Bob's got a tag, which is not legal. <laughs> Team kill. Yeah, that's right. But you'd go yell for Bob, and Bob would run over, and, and that was a, an illegal thing that I didn't even know was illegal. Hmm. Well, now, in Wisconsin, explain again what you're saying is okay there? I believe, in some cases. and this is the last time I looked into it, and I believe uh, they define it as like within communication where you can yell at, at the other hunter that might be tagging the deer. But if you're all licensed and a group of deer comes by, you can shoot more as long as someone in that group and that's within shouting distance of you can come over and tag that. But deer. you can't have a dude with you who has no tag. You could have him with you, but he can't be hu- carrying a rifle. I got you. I got yeah. you. Yeah. He can't be actively hunting. He mm-hmm. needs to be a licensed hunter. Yeah. Now th- this brings up a thing. We haven't gotten into party applications yet, but uh, another thing on party hunting, another question, a guy that I've been meaning to get to and never got to it, him and his buddy are hunting black bears. His buddy's got a black bear tag. He doesn't. So mug one, um, mug one has a black bear tag. Mug two does not have a black bear tag. Mug one, but they're hunting deer, okay? Mug one, ouch, gets a shot at a black bear. <laughs> mug two runs up. The black bear is running off. He, the, his buddy got a hit. Mug one got a hit, but it wasn't a mortal wound. Mug two, ouch, kills it. That's against the law. That's right. It's a strange one, and it's one where you get put into like Morality. spirit of the law, <laughs> civil law versus moral law. Yeah. And I've been in that situation in the past, and where you're like, well, however things played out, you're gonna have like a you're gonna have unrecro- a wounded yet unrecovered animal. Um, and I've been in that situation, and it does it puts you in a it puts you in a little bit of a bind. I think that the game warden's probably gonna look at it and be like. Sorry, man. You killed it. Yeah, and unfortunately, there's just uh, there's too much room for interpretation and too much room for taking it, you know, and, and cheating that rule if it's not, you know, done that way. Yeah, yeah. Because guides would just walk around killing animals for yeah, clients all the time. Because we're fighting what we're talking. That that rule is fighting what we're talking about. The two guys walking around, one guy shooting. You say, come over here real quick. Yeah. You know? So the gray area is what you want to try to eliminate. Yeah, like the scenario, like he as, and I, and I take at face value what he's saying is just that um, it was like it was looked like it was going to get away, and he didn't want it to get away, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. And so yeah, I mean, you definitely broke a law because I know what state this occurred. You broke a law. Maybe he's yeah. just throwing out a hypothetical. I don't know. Um, party applications. Who wants to take that one? 
I can talk about it a little bit. It's when, talk about uh, it, Pete. You want to go hunting maybe with your family or your friends, and you're like, I'd rather draw this tag with you or not at all. That's a good way to put it. It's mm-hmm. binary. So I've got, I've, I like taking uh, some of my family members hunting who maybe are not going to go hunting on their own. So we apply as a party. It's like, hey, like we're all, we're all going to get it or none of us are going to get it. It's not like you're going to get stuck with this tag and nobody's going to be able to go go on this hunt with you. So I think it's a way to ensure that uh, your core group of fellow sportsmen or family that you're hunting with will all, all get the permit and you can do it as a group. This guy was asking too, is it a good idea or not? And that's like, that's not really answerable because it just depends on how bad you want to go. Yeah. I, I think another way to do it would be like, if you're eyeballing like some hunt you want to do and and you'd make a deal. You're like, you could do a party app, and then you both get to go on equal footing, and you both got a tag. But there's less of a chance that someone's going to have a tag. Or you make a deal and be like, let's both put in single, but let's sign a treaty right now, sign an agreement that if one of us draws, we help the other. We both go on the trip. But if you don't hang out with that kind of person, then it makes sense that that. that Y'all put in as a group, and then y'all either go and everyone's gung ho, fully loaded, or everyone stays at home. Is you party know, application somehow? This is a question. It's not beneficial. Sure. Does it? Well, does it? Would it prevent in some way party hunting? Like, I'm just thinking through this a little bit. If everybody has a tag, then you don't have to share a tag. Uh, completely unrelated, man. I know. <laughs> I know. But there's a there is a there could be a corresponding thing there. If everybody has a tag, you don't have to worry about it. That's right. You're trying, for, to, you're trying to tie in party hunting and party application. I was trying to be slick, and I was yeah. very. That's why I was asking as a question because I was pretty sure. There's also was a strategic play where if I have ten elk points and you have zero, and we apply as a party, I kind of pull. I pull you up a little bit, so I increase your odds. Depends on the state. True. Yep. And you can apply as a non-resident. You could apply with a resident on a party application. Um. You yeah. could, but at least the state that I've done that in in Colorado, if you do that, you're both in the non-resident, the pool. non-resident uh, pool. So yeah. the residents getting dinged big time. Uh, yeah, it can be, it can handicap you. But I've heard of a very. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I just I think that there are so many people. Um, if we're being honest with ourselves, there's a lot of people that ultimately enjoy the planning and the Google Earthing and the lead up. <laughs> to the hunt maybe even more than the hunt and the adventure themselves where um these party applications are a big deal because they feel like they're they're in the game they got something to go with you know something to plan towards or daydream about at work or whatever so Mm -hmm. um i think that that's a big benefit to these party applications have you ever party party applied yes i have party applications out right now i have Mm -hmm. one out now I didn't get invited. Didn't hear about that. Me and my bro. Well, it's me and my bro because he's an Alaska resident. Yeah. So we partied up on a couple things. Nice. That uh, sheep, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. Partied up on some stuff. Sweet. Um, what else about that party hunt? It kind of covers it. party apps, parties, partying, yeah. party hunting. And it's a good. I mean, it's just a, it's a good way for folks to plan, particularly if you're applying um, for an out of state hunt. Then you kind of know, be like, yep, this is where we want to go. And you can budget uh, both time and monetarily for um, how you're going to approach that hunt. And yeah, I, I'd, 
I like that system. Here's, here's one last question. Ready? Are rabbits safe to eat? Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks for joining. Yeah. <laughs> I have a concluder. Oh, lay it at me. Um, <laughs> you came up with one? Speaking of parties. Oh, good, I and, like and it. And good times. Um, there are some shows coming oh, up. Some yes, under sir. the hood shows and some live podcasts mm-hmm. that have tickets still available. They are a Under the Hood in Salt Lake City on February 8th and Under the Hood in Cleveland, Ohio on February 21st and Under the Hood in Houston, Tejas, February 27th and then live podcasts in Dallas on the 28th of February and in Seattle on the 14th of March. So half of our shows are sold out. Those are the five uh, that still have a bunch of tickets. What about Reno? Um, yep. Sheep that's show. right, Reno. Thank oh, yes, you, Cal. Yep. Just because I'm going to be there. Yeah, and come meet Callahan. And the date yeah. on that one <laughs> I'll be is... standing behind Cal. <laughs> <laughs> Trying try not to bother you. No, know, you're going to Sheep. What's yeah. the date? Uh, I believe you guys are doing your live podcast on uh, Friday, February 8th. That's Thursday. Right. Thursday. 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 Is that the 7th? Yeah. Thursday. So I've, I've got a Thursday. calendar. Google I've got it. a calendar right here. It's, at, it's in the afternoon. It's a tough one for some We folks. just added the great Remy Warren to oh, the guest list. Yeah, Remy will be there. It's a tough one because it's a, um, an early afternoon show. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all right. You can uh, start drinking early that day. Yeah, man. Quit work. Yep. Qu- don't quit. Just take a break. Yeah, it's probably better to take a break. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, Good job, It Giannis. is on the 7th on Thursday. Good job, Yanis. Yanis. What do they call you down in Mexico? I can't remember, Yanis. man. Yanis. Yanis. Yeah. Yanis. Most of the time, they make Yanis. like a funny, it's like a J sound for the J. And I'll be like, no. It's just like Yamo, like when you say your name, double L, and they're like, yeah, Jonas. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's start over. No. Like, <laughs> don't tell me how to say your name, boy. <laughs> You're in my phone with a Y. Uh, Yanni does that on his emails. So he writes. I like, saw that the I other saw, day. Yeah, right, right, you, have the phonetic, you have the phonetical you, spelling of your G, name. He writes now. Janice, and then he puts in parentheses Yanis. Yeah, like and on his Instagram, phonetic. it's like that too, I feel yeah. like. It is? Yeah, it's Yanis. No, that's my dad. Nah, I don't, I, maybe it is. But I feel like you're. <laughs> I feel like the name is Janice and the handle is Yanis. Janice? Janice? Senor Janice. Janice? 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 Huh. Dude, I'm always just Steve, man. My dad calls you. Where I go. My dad calls you Steve forward. Rinelli, and he calls you Janice Putellis. <laughs> Good. <laughs> he's a proper redneck. I don't see any wise, man. I guess my ass is wrong. Where's your dad? Cal, got any concluders? Oh, that was your concluder. That was a good one. Thanks. Live show dates coming up, man. Get your tickets. Uh, go to themeateater.com. Um, and the tab is events. And go to go events. 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 <clears throat> and check it out. Um, also got some speaking events coming up, and those are there as well, places where I'm going to be giving, a, giving some keynotes and whatnot. So you can see those there. And like then, uh, Pheasant, Pheasant Fest in Schaumburg, Illinois. Yep, which someone told me is kind of like Chicago. It's a teensy, <laughs> bit, a teensy bit different than Chicago, but close. Very similar. There's a, yeah, there's a big radius of suburbs there that uh, <laughs> still um, count as Chicago. Got one coming up in Lander, Wyoming. At the Muley um, Fanatics, got uh, you going to Harrisburg? Nope, nope. Got one coming up That's in. Not. Yeah, 
What All else? Right. Concluder, Cal. That's where we were. Oh yeah, boy. Get a solid rest. No, <laughs> go, go buy a bipod. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're not touching that trigger, knowing that you were going to kill something, then you should not be touching that trigger. Speaking of bipods and uh, sighting in, because the fellow said he was sighting in offhand, I say, too, if you're going to use a bipod, definitely sight in using that bipod. Because I know that my rifles have a much different point of impact if I'm shooting off of a sandbag huh. at, on a bench and that bipod off of a bench. Interesting. And even, I know a lot of guys will say, don't shoot the bipod off a concrete bench because that concrete bench is so stiff yeah. compared to if you just set it on the ground the dirt. that you, there's, a, there's a difference in point of impact. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I was coming from the school thought was real world situations. Sight in the rifle, like locked into a lead sled. And maybe, maybe this is wrong, but I have always treated my guns as sighted in, locked into a lead sled, take every variable out of it. The gun is zeroed. And then any imperfection after that from shooting off of a bipod or shooting freehand is, is your fault. Not not so much the guns. Oh, I think it needs to be adjusted to how you hold that rifle, though. Too there's going to yeah. be like I totally agree. Like you you sound the mechanics of everything. Yeah. The gun is bedded properly. The scope's mounted properly. Um, you could even shoot your groups off there and figure out your your loads, um, bullet to bullet and grain grain to grain. Um, and if you want to go through that and proof all of that and then add in the variable of the human component. Yeah. Um, then you will, would still more than likely need to make some adjustments to, you know, your particular cheek weld. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always like to just determine that the scope is listening to me when I make adjustments and like when it's on a lead sledge, you know, yeah. when you're, yeah, you, there's human error involved when you're, you know, sighting a gun in. So you're not always sure, but I always like to make sure if I move it two inches down two inches, right. That it does exactly that. Um, I feel like that's a good thing to know yep. on a new rifle. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I'll tell you, I don't do this. I throw her, throw her down on top of my backpack a lot of times out <laughs> on some chunk of state land or something, and make sure she's still still hitting yeah. close to home. You know, my the cardboard boy, box that I've taped up. Into the a boys site. at Vortex talk about uh, cycling through the tracking on your scope. Oh, really? You zero. To, to check, you know, to check your scope, like yep. zero, and then dial up 20 MOA. Yep. And then dial back 20 MOA. Oh. And make sure it lands back where it's supposed to. Take it for a walk. <laughs> That's a, particularly if you're using a scope where you're manually dialing before your shots. And what happens if, if you don't feel like it's coming back to where it's... You got a problem. You got yeah. A, you got, you got <laughs> Call, a Call the manufacturer. Yeah, yeah because you, you, know, you, like, you got a 200-yard zero and you dial up for, let's say you're messing around and you're trying to impress your buddies how you shoot a rock 600 yards away and you dial up to six or seven and then you dial back, you should do that at the range. And when you dial back, like, is that where you're at? Yeah. Because you might, you could, you know, some skulls might have a problem where they don't track back to where they're supposed to. Yeah. Just something to keep in mind. Yeah. But I started using like the the BDC reticles, man. And it's not like. Yeah, take take one more thing out. Yeah, right. like I used to, I, I flirted with messing around dialing. I just like to count hash marks. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's a lot. It's just like for me, I, I guess it depends what kind of guy you are and how your brain works and stuff. But my brain's the kind of brain that does better when everything's <laughs> locked in and I'm counting hash marks. Are you super solid on your hash marks? Like, yeah. Yeah. Do you ever print something out and tape it to your stock or tape oh, yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. No. I print 50 yard increments, 200 yard zero. And I take a little thing that's two, 250, three, 350, four, 455, 556. And I'll put it on there. I'll put yeah. high ones on there because you never know a situation where you got something getting away from you that you. Wounded. You, you wounded or whatever. Yeah. And then I and then I just have plus and I round them off. I don't have like, you know, 3.97 yeah. MOA. It's like I round them. Four. Yeah, well, I round them where I want them. And but I that's for when you used to dial. You don't have that if you're reading your hash marks. Yeah, I do. I use it for my hash marks. Even though they're correlated, they're, they're like, you can correlate them for like most like magnum rifles, right? If you know you have a 200-yard zero, then you know that the hash oh, marks yeah. are roughly right. But no, I, I write it out. Just run that in a ballistic calculator every time. Just print out a new new uh, paper for every. But I'm load. sorry, I'm confused. What, what, if you're you're writing out what each hash mark equals? No, I'm writing out my drop. Okay. So I'll have like whatever. Like, yeah, I understand that. But then how do you how does that work when you look at your hash marks? Well, if I know I'm if I know I need to, if, I, if I know I need to do four, then I count down two hash marks and hold four. If it's five, I go count down two hash marks and split the difference between four and six. To print it out, things just four hundred. Yeah, no four moa, whatever. That's what I'm if at. you have a, if you have a if you have a uh, like a, a stack. What do you call it? Like a stacked reticle, mm-hmm. right? With and there are two moa increments. If I look and I'm like, oh, this shot, I'm going to be four moa low two hash marks then i go down and go to the fourth the four got it so you you're juggling that and knowing what the hash mark yardage is or do you not do that no i just go by i know what the how i i know the like the minute of angle drop i'm trying to compensate for got it compensate for it by using my because like the way i'll do on the bdc is i'll have my little chart printed out where it says the second hash is 332. The third hash is spot on. That's, at what, I, that's what I was talking 399. about. 399. Yeah. yeah. The fourth hash. And then you is, write that on your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Then you tape that to your stock. So like before you shoot, you're like, oh, he's 400. Well, I tape it to my like, scope. I know what you're saying. Yeah, that's whatever. another way. I Either think that's, that's a good way of achieving the same thing. Either way. Yeah. Do you like that better than how I do it? There's less math I have to do in my head in the moment. And there's something about that turret, though. I've been hunting with one lately. The Sarovsky, they have a. PBC, I believe it is. It's a ballistic. So you send them off your, all your info. You send them off your bullet. You send them off your FPS. You send them off your elevation, everything. And they send you back a custom turret for your load. Yeah, Vortex does that. Yeah, you pop it on and it's... it's And all this is like, if you have a rifle you're only going to use around home and you're dotting with a scope and you're super confident, pop that thing on and you never have to change it and it's always a good. Yeah, I had some of those. I liked them, but it was like... It's hard for traveling hunters, you know, because you're changing elevations all the time. You're changing, you know, a lot of the variables. Obviously, it's hard when you always have to mess around. You always mess around with different rifles and different loads. Yeah. And, if you have one rifle for a specific purpose and a specific place, it, it's super easy to do. But it gets the reason, complicated. The reason that not crook, like I see your system and it's fine and it would work the same way, but now and then you're splitting the difference. You know, you're doing you have two MOA hash marks and you're working with odd numbers but still it'd be the same thing yeah. i could see i could see either way i think it's sixes <laughs> six short for six and a half <laughs> six half dozen yanni made that up no <laughs> six <laughs> <is>. <laughs> i don't have any concluding thoughts personally 
Pete? Uh, not, not much. We got a lot of snow and I hope we have a good weekend of hunting ahead of us, uh, to segue off of, uh, the live shows y'all got coming up and sheep show here in Reno in early February. If you are going to sheep show, certainly go see the live meat eater podcast. And also you guys gonna have a booth. Yeah, absolutely. Can people come by and meet you? Yeah. <laughs> I fit you in a backpack. I don't know if you want to meet me or not, but I'll show you, got, you how you, got a, you got a girlfriend right now. Uh, you know, it, it's a loose term. But uh, I'm just trying to think of women should go and try to meet Pete. <laughs> I guess I guess that's the topic. No, I do not have a girlfriend. <laughs> All, you can do. All right, let me finish my concluder. My concluder was: if you go on a sheep show, join the Less Than One Club. If you've never killed a sheep, if you have never killed a mountain goat, join the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance's newly founded Billy Goat Society. I'm a member. Win your first mountain goat hunt from RMGA, or win your first sheep hunt from the Wild Sheep Foundation. Do you have to be present for the RMGA? You do. One? Makes it a little more fun. If what, you, if you, what if you killed a nanny? Yeah, you're out. <laughs> you're out. You're out. Can't join. You had your chance. If you, you said want. a billy. What's that? You just said a billy. Called the Billy Goat Society. But yeah. yes, we have determined if you have killed any mountain goat, billy, nanny, kid, you are out. Not eligible. That's correct, yeah. If you want to be uh, just a good conservation-minded fellow or gal and, uh, you know, not be burdened with wondering if you're going to win a hunt or not, I'd just say give them some money. And those folks like myself that are already in the drawing will uh, thank you for it. There you go. That's true. All right, all right, all right, all right. Thank you for joining. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that Sport Dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash MEATEATER to learn more. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.